Part two, chapter two of the Merry Go Round by W. Somerset Maugham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lady Edward Stringer said she would be delighted to see Basil that evening, and Frank, whose toilet was finished in a quarter of an hour, with scornful amusement, watched the care wherein the young man dressed. At last, with a final look at the glass, he turned round. You look very nice indeed, said the doctor ironically. Shut up, answered Basil, reddening, but it was evident all the same that he was not displeased with his parents. They died at Frank's very respectable club, surrounded by men of science with the diverting air of middle-aged schoolboys, and soon after ten drove off to Kensington. Basil hated the economy which since his marriage he had been forced to practice, and the size of wealth in Lady Edward's house were very grateful to him. A powdered footman took his hat, another seized his coat, and after the cramped stuffiness of the villa at Barnes, it pleased him hugely to walk through spacious and lofty rooms, furnished splendidly in the worst Victorian manner. Lady Edward, her fair wig more than usually askew, dressed in shabby magnificence, with splendid diamonds round her withered neck, gave him the indifferent welcome of a fashionable hostess, and turned to the next arrival. Moving on, Basil found himself face to face with Mrs. Murray. "'Oh, I am glad to see you,' he cried, enthusiastic and surprised. "'I didn't know you were back. Come and sit down and tell me all you've seen.' nonsense i'm not going to say a word you must give me all the news i see your book is announced basil was astonished to find how handsome she was he had thought of her very frequently against his will but the picture in his mind had not that radiant health nor that spirited vitality rather had his imagination exaggerated likeness to a madonna of sandra botticelli dwelling on the sad passion of her lips and the pallid oval of her languid face to-night her vivacity was enchanting the grey eyes were full of laughter and her cheeks delightfully flushed he looked at her beautiful hands recognising the rings and at the picturesque splendour of her gown the favourite scents which vaguely clung to her recalled the past with its pleasant intercourse and he remembered her drawing-room in charles street where they had sat so often talking of charming things his heart ached and he knew that for all his efforts he loved her no less than that night before his marriage when he became convinced that she also cared i don't believe you are listening to a word i say she cried yes i am he answered but the sound of your voice intoxicates me it has all the music of italy I haven't heard it for such ages. When did I see you last? She inquired, remembering perfectly well, but curious to know his answer. You were driving near Westminster Bridge one Sunday afternoon, but I've not spoken to you since the Thursday before that. I remembered a cloak you wore then. Have you still got it? What a memory! She laughed flippantly, but there was triumph in her eyes for he seemed to have forgotten completely the visit to Barnes, and his recollection was only of the mutual love. I often think of the long talks we used to have, he said, except for you, I should never have written my book. Ah, yes, before you married, wasn't it? 
She uttered the words carelessly with a smile, but she meant to wound, and Basil's face grew on a sudden deathly pale, and inexpressible pain darkened his eyes, and his lips trembled. Mrs. Murray observed him with a cruel curiosity. Sometimes in her anger, she had prayed for an occasion of revenge for all the torture she had suffered, and this was the beginning. She hated him now. She told herself she hated him furiously. At that moment, she caught sight of Mr. Farley, the fashionable parson, and smiled. As she expected, he came forward. Do you get a letter from me? she asked holding out her hand. Thanks so much, I've already written to accept. Her question was not without malice, for she wished Basil to understand that she had sent Mr. Farley some invitation. Unwillingly, the younger man rose from her side, and the vicar of all souls took the vacant place. As Basil sauntered away, sore at heart, she addressed the newcomer with a flattering, though somewhat unusual, cordiality. Tiens! This chase, Lucretia, how on earth did you get here? Basil started, and his face grew suddenly cold and hard, when at his elbow he heard his mother's mocking voice. Dr. Hera brought me, he answered. He showed discretion in bringing you to the dullest house in London, also the most respectable. How is Camberwell, and do you have high tea? My wife is at Brighton, answered Basil, feeling as ever humiliated by Lady Vizard's banter. I didn't expect she was here. You're really very good-looking. What a pity it is you're so absurd. She nodded to her son and passed on. Presently she came to Miss Ley, who stood by herself, watching with amusement the various throng. How do you do, say Lady Vizard? I had no idea that you remembered me, answered the other. I saw in the paper that you had inherited the fortune of that odious Miss Dwaris. Haven't you found that lots of people have remembered you since then? She did not wait for an answer. Aren't you a friend of my young Hupful? I've just seen him, and I can't imagine why he dislikes me so much. I suppose he thinks I'm wicked, but I'm not in the least, really. I'm not conscious of ever having committed a sin in my life. I've done foolish things and things I regret, but that's all. It's very comfortable to have the approval of one's own conscience, murmured Miss Ley. Lord de Capi at that moment advanced to Lady Vizard, and Miss Ley took the opportunity to go to Mrs. Barlow Bassett, superbly imposing as usual, who was talking with the Castilians. It's a great comfort to me to know he's such a good boy, she heard her saying. He has no secrets from me, and I can assure you he hasn't a thought which he needs to hide from any one. Who is this admirable person? asked Miss Ley. I was thanking Mrs. Castilian for being so good to Reggie. He's just of an age when the influence of a woman of the world, a good woman, is so important. Rational is the compendium of all the virtues, remarked Miss Ley quietly, and Mrs. Castilian is a pattern of charity. You overwhelm me with confusion, cries the little woman with the lightest laugh, but only the powder hid a crimson blush of shame. She managed in a little while to get Miss Lay to herself, and they sat down. Mrs. Castilian's manner was so airy and flippant that none could have guessed she dwelt with tragic issues. 
you must utterly despise me miss lay she said why i promised you i'd never seen breggy again and what must you have thought when you heard mrs bassett at least it saved you the trouble of telling me fibs i wouldn't have lied about it i must have someone to whom i can talk openly oh i'm so unhappy these words also she said with so expressionless a countenance that an onlooker out of earshot would have been persuaded she spoke of most trivial things i did my best she went on i bore it for months then i couldn't do without him any longer i feel like a woman in one of those old stories under some love spell so that no power of hers could help her i suppose you say i'm a fool but i think isolde or phedre must have had just that same sensation i haven't any will and i haven't any courage and the worst is that the whole thing's so absolutely degrading there's no reason why you shouldn't despise me because i utterly despise myself and heaven knows what be the end of it i feel that something awful will happen some day or other paul is certain to find out and then it means ruin and i shall have thrown away everything for such a miserable poor-spirited cur don't talk so loud said miss lay for the other had slightly raised her voice do you think he'd marry you no he's often told me he wouldn't and i wouldn't marry him now i know him too well oh i wish i'd never seen him he doesn't care two straws for me he knows i'm in his power and he treats me as if i were a woman off the streets i've been so bitterly punished her eyes wandered across the room and she saw raggy talking to mrs murray look at him she said to miss lay even now i would give my soul for him to take me in his arms and kiss me i wouldn't mind the danger i wouldn't mind the shame if he only loved me self-possessed and handsome immaculately attired raggy chatted with the ease of a man of forty his dark lustrous eyes fixed on miss murray his red lips smiling centrally indicated plainly enough that her beauty attracted him mrs castilian watched the pair with jealous rage and with agony she's got every chance she muttered she's a widow and she's rich and she's younger than i am but i wouldn't wish my worst enemy the wretchedness of falling in love with that man but good heavens why don't you pull yourself together have you given up all thought of breaking with him yes she answered desperately i'm not going to struggle any more let come what may it's not i that is concerned now but fate i won't leave him until he throws me aside like a toy he's tired of and what about your husband poor was worth ten of the other i didn't know his value too i was so unhappy aren't you a little ashamed to treat him so badly i can't sleep at night for thinking of it every present he gives me is like a stab in my heart every kindness is the bitterest anguish but i can't help it miss lay meditated for a moment i've just been talking to lady Vizard, she said then i suppose there's no one in london whom a pious person would more readily consign to eternal flames and yet she looks upon herself as a very good woman indeed also i feel sure that our mutual friend raggy has no qualms about any of his proceedings it suggests to me that the only wicked people in the world are those who have consciences 
Don't you think I have a conscience? asked Mrs. Castilian bitterly. Apparently, I never saw any trace of it till I met you at Rochester, but I suppose it was there in a rudimentary condition, and events have brought it to the front. Take care doesn't get the better of you. I see great danger staring you in the face. What do you mean? Mrs. Castilian's face, notwithstanding the rouge, was haggard and white. Miss Ley looked at her with piercing keenness. Have you ever thought of confessing the whole thing to your husband? Oh, Miss Ley, Miss Ley, how did you guess that? In her uncontrollable agitation, she forgot her self-control and wrung her hands with anguish. Take care. Remember everyone can see you. I forgot. With an effort, she regained her wonted ease of manner. It's been with me night and day. Sometimes, when Paul is good to me, I can hardly resist the temptation. Some awful fascination lures me on, and I know that one day I shan't be able to hold my tongue, and I shall tell him everything. During the last six months, Mrs. Castilian had aged, and bitterly conscious of her failing beauty, resorted now to a more extravagant artifice. The colour of her hair was more obviously unnatural, she pencilled her eyebrows and used too much paint on her cheeks. The inquiet of her manner had increased, so that it was somewhat painful to be with her. She talked more than ever, more loudly, and her laughter was shriller and more frequent. But the high spirits, which before were due to an entire unconcern for the world in general, now were deliberately assumed to conceal, if possible even from herself, a most utter wretchedness. Life had been wont to go most smoothly. She had wealth to gratify every whim, admiration to give a sense of power, a position of some consequence, and she had never wanted anything so desperately that it was more than tiresome to do without it. But now, with no previous experience to guide her, she was beset on every side with harassing difficulties. This ardent passion had swept her off her feet, and their awakening was very bitter when she learned that it was her turn to suffer. She had no illusions with regard to Reggie. He was immeasurably selfish, callous to her pain, and she had long since discovered that tears had no effect upon him. He meant to get his own way, and when she rebelled, gave her the truth in brutal terms. If you don't like me, you can go to the devil. You're not the only woman in the world. But on the whole, he was fairly good-humoured. It was his best quality, and she had a certain hold over him in his immense love of pleasure. She could always avoid his peevishness by taking him to the theatre, he was anxious to move in polite circles, and an invitation to some great house made him affectionate for a week. But he never allowed her to dictate, and an occasional display of jealousy was met with an indifferent cynicism which nearly drove her to distraction. Besides, she was afraid of him, knowing that to save his own skin he would not hesitate to betray her. Yet, notwithstanding, she loved Reggie still so passionately that it affected her character. Mrs. Castilian, who had never sought to restrain herself, now took care to avoid causes of offence to the dissolute boy. She made herself complacent so that he might not again throw in her face her age and waning charms. In bitter misery, she learns a gentleness and a self-control 
which before she had never known. In the general affairs of life she exhibited a new charity, and especially with her husband was less petulant. His sure devotion was singularly comforting, and she knew that in his eyes she was no less adorable than when first he loved her. End of part two, chapter two.